Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Jamie, and this is our From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast. As the owners of Hired Hand website software, we've been developing websites and creating internet marketing strategies for livestock breeders for the past 10 years. The majority of our customers are involved in the breeding of registered animals, such as Texas longhorns, Highland cattle, horses, and white-tailed deer, where the pedigrees are very important. The From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast examines many of the differences in raising pedigreed livestock for maximum profit. Join us and learn what we're covering today. Okay, so today the person that we're going to talk to, um, they had the first animal to win the Horn Showcase and the World Show. Their animals have won Grand Champion and Grand Reserve Champion at the World Show. Their kids have won the World Show and Audubon. Um, they bred the longest horned steer in the world, won several fraternity classes, and many of their bulls' offspring have top sales. And we can't forget that they're raising one of the best roosters in the world. Are we ready to bring him in? I think so. Okay, here we go. It's the one and only Brett Boland. How you guys doing? How's everybody out there? We're doing good. How about you? Uh, trying to stay safe. This COVID deal's got everybody a little bit on the scared side, but... Uh, the Longhorn industry, we're doing okay. We are. Things seem things seem to be doing doing good. So, what year did you and Cindy start raising Longhorns? Cindy and I got uh, bought a piece of property in 1995, and it had about four acres in the back that we needed to do something with. So, what we decided is is uh, we'd start with Longhorns, and that's where we got started. It was in 1995, July of 1995. And we went looking for steers. Needless to say, we didn't buy any steers. Charlene Simpkin, uh, she's the first lady that we ever talked to that was in the business. And Charlene talked us into buying some cows. Well, when she talked us into buying cows, she also talked us into buying a bull. So all of a sudden, instead of two steers that did not make babies, we had cows that made babies. So we had to go a different avenue after that. And was that, did you buy your land in Texas or was that when you were still in Arizona? We still lived in Arizona. Like I said, we had four acres, but uh, that was irrigated property back then. So four acres, you could run 10 head on easily because we flood irrigated. So that worked out good. But the longhorns we really fell in love with is our neighbor down the street had two longhorn steers. And I grew up uh, around my grandfather that had a ranch and he had about a hundred thousand acre ranch. So we got to see cattle throughout all of our lives, but they were just crossbreds. They were animals that we eat every day and we just changed it up a little bit. When did you move to Texas? We bought the property in 97 or 98 and our kids had a, uh, a different type of school years. So we got to visit a ranch for years. And then we finally moved here about 12 years ago, partly to get our kids out of the big city and we wanted them to grow up on a ranch. Mm-hmm. Did you have other cattle before Longhorns? When I was a kid in high school, I showed Black Angus. But back then, you could show Angus and Herefords, and that was about the only thing people showed. Then came along the Charleys, but uh, I was around cattle throughout my life. It just never got really involved, because when you live on a farm, which I did, all you want to do is go to the big city. True. Um, so why did you choose Longhorns, besides your neighbor having them? Why did you want them? 
the biggest reason was is the beauty of them. You know, our neighbor that had the longhorns, you could go down there and look at his pretty longhorns with the pretty horns in different color. And then our one neighbor on one side had Brangus, another one had Angus, another one had crossbred. And then you had our good friend and our neighbor that had these beautiful longhorns. And Cindy and I both fell in love with the longhorns. So we decided it was time. Do you still have contact with that person today? Uh, he's still around. He's, believe it or not, he's got a little bit sick in the last few years. But uh, after his first two longhorn steers died, they died of old age. We gave him two more steers to raise out. And the last time I talked to him last year, they were the same thing. They were 19 and 20 and just barely getting along. That's kind of neat having contact with him. He's a great guy. He's a good friend of ours. So when you and Cindy first started raising longhorns, what type of traits were you breeding for? When we first started, we it was Charlene Simpkin that got us started. And basically, they were the Phillips uh, breed, which were a little bit bigger cows. They were a little bit more coarse than, say, your butler breed. But they were a big cow. And I remember the first time Cindy and I went out and bought a big horn cow. And she was a mature cow. And she had 48 inches tip to tip. Now, 48 inches today, they wanted at about a year and a half, but at back then, 48 was quite a thing. But uh, we were looking just something for beauty, and then somebody hooked us on showing cattle. And then we got hooked on showing cattle for years and years. So at what point did you realize that you wanted to make a change to your breeding program? We had showed, uh, when we were doing the show circuit, it was great because we'd won the world. We had a reserve champion. Uh, and Cindy and I started kicking around and started watching different breeders. And Bob Loomis was one. And we started noticing he had pretty cows with good bodies and great horn. So we decided that's the avenue we wanted to go. So we started first trying to get breed the size or body cows for horn and we figured out it didn't work. So what we did is we pretty much deleted and got rid of our whole herd and started from scratch. And as the experienced breeders always told us, you got to have a great bull. So we went out and got ourselves a good bull. And who was the bull? The first bull that really kicked our program in gear was Tabasco. He was an older gentleman. He was uh, up in age but he was raised by Mr. Johnny Hoffman. And if anybody can go back 20 years, Mr. Johnny Hoffman was the man when uh, everybody started talking. And when you looked at somebody's herd, you always looked at Mr. Johnny's herd to see how you could do just like Mr. Johnny. So tell us a little bit, um, for those of us who know your breed breeding program, um, tell us a little bit about what also made you decide to bring in the Ringadinga family. That's hard to say today. Ringa, Ringa Dinger family. Yeah, Ringa Dinger. <laughs> Bob Loomis always told us, you know, uh, you got to have a great bull. And uh, one of our bulls got hurt and he was down. So we went looking for a good bull. And when we went looking for this good bull, we ran into this tiny little heifer that was skin and bones, but had a nice set of horns. And that was the Ringa Dinger cow. We bought her mostly because of her beauty, her horns, and her first calf was outstanding. Her second calf was outstanding. Her third was outstanding. And right then we knew we had something, we had a good click. Uh, 
So when we flushed her, we flushed her and to a, a good named bull and ended up getting some good bulls and some good heifers. And that just extended everything. Uh, we've got a grandson of hers that we're using. He's 50-50. And he's a bull that has put us on the map. His offspring have top sales, top futurities, and his, one of his steers topped the world show too. So he's a bull that can produce horn, can produce body, and produce the whole thing. It all goes back to the Rangadinger line. Um, you also have the Rutledge's Miss Dixie family. What do you like about them? Uh, Miss Dixie, we don't have bulls out of this particular cow. And breeders are going to find out when you start breeding cows, sometimes cows make good females. Sometimes a cow might make a good males. This cow is a female maker. She makes great females, great milkers, great bodies. And when we bought her, we bought her as a yearling heifer. And I called Sandy and said, baby, you ain't going to believe this, but this little red heifer is gorgeous. And we bought her at a sale in Oklahoma from uh, Luke Rutledge. And Luke had a, he was, had a knack for getting horn. And this little cow ended up with 68 inches, which isn't nothing today. But she's produced cows over 80. Got female lines in her line that is up into the 90s. And I think we're running about 25 to 30 of her offspring some way in our whole herd right now. She's just a female maker. So recently you introduced a new family to your website. Um, it was Cooper's 167 lamb. So tell us a little bit about them. She's another one of these cows that's up there in age. Uh, in fact, they're in our pasture right now. One of them is 17, the other one's 18, and the other one's 17. Cooper's, we got her the same way as a yearling heifer, and she was skin and bones, and we raised her, and she clicked. She is a film female maker and same thing. She has won the horn showcase. She won futurities and she's just a big, beautiful red cow. That's one heck of a milker. So what, now that we've covered a few different family lines that you um, all still have incorporated in your herd, what traits do you like best about each family or what do you like to mix uh, with each other to get the um, animals that you're striving to breed? The biggest thing that people and breeders really need to watch is uh, you need a cow that produces babies and you need a cow that has a baby every year. You need a cow that is good functional, meaning that she can travel. You need a cow, milking is so important in this breed today. Uh, horn is always something that everybody strives for because that's what's selling today. But you're going to start finding and seeing down the road that just because a cow has horn, if she's not a good milker, that isn't going to be a trait that people are going to be looking for. Cindy and I, we've always looked at, uh, you need a good body, good horns, and a good functional cow. I'm a firm believer in if you really look at the breed today, I think a, a cow should be able to go to the world show and place high up in the class. They don't always have to win. I think it should be uh, able to go to the horn showcase and, and play somewhere in the top 10. And then I think it should be able to go to a futurity and top, in the, top out at the top five. That means you've got a functional cow. And then when she goes out to your pasture, she gives you a good calf. That makes sense. Love what you're hearing? Be sure to check out our pickup truck confessions. It's a video series where we hop in the truck or a rental car 
and interview a variety of breeders about what drives their passion for their livestock, how they got started in the breed of their choice, marketing tips, and more. And now back to the podcast. So what are your thoughts on tip to tip, tip to tip and total horn, um, maybe flat versus straight up? The, if you go back to Mr. Johnny Hoffman again, Johnny Hoffman had probably the prettiest set of handlebar horns on cows that won horn showcases for years, even after he had passed away. Uh, if you go on into a pasture, very few cows have just straight out horns. But right now that's the selling point and there's too many breeders in this breed right now that are pushing tip to tip when we're losing our character. If you go out in the pasture, you want to see tip to tip, you want to see total horn, you want to see up horns, down horns, handlebar horns. That's what makes these things beautiful. There is no set set of horns and people need to realize that. And sometimes when they go to an auction, we need to realize they're going to have a nice set of horns when they get to be four or five years old, even though they may go up right now. Well, and I think, Brett, one day when you were you and I were talking, you had mentioned how if you see an animal that has horns that go straight up, um, not to be not to be scared of them, because if you mix them with the right bull, that can change the horn shape in the in their babies, correct? Yes, that's a very true deal. There's there's bulls out there uh, that pretty much will drop horns, any type of high horns, they'll drop them. And then we have bulls out there that will give you the twist that everybody's shooting for. Uh, Dale Hunt tried to twist years and years ago, and we were frustrated because it took too long to get the twist. Now we got bulls that will give you twist and give it to you quickly. So the twist is a big new thing. So it's a different character of horns. Uh, your up horns, you take a bull that will drop them. And if you want to get a little more character, you do a bull that will give you, say, your handlebars like Mr. Johnny used to do. It's all in what you want. And as a breeder, you need to pick what you like and what you love and stick with it. Do you want to mention any of those, like any of the bulls that will do those types of things? We've got uh, a lot of times, if you talk to the old timers, Mr. Wes Watson, and he was notorious for the twisted horns, he always said, take a twisty horn cow and give to a straight horn bull, and you'd get the twist. You didn't go twist to twist. Uh, we shoot for a little bit of everything. We've got twist in a herd, we've got high horns, and we've got tip to tip. It really depends on what Cindy and I really like, and tell you the truth, we like them all. And I hope all breeders are that way. And I bet you if you talk to 99% of them, they'll go for everything. So you mentioned consignment sales and, you know, um, trying to, you know, not discount an animal based on its horn shape if they're young. Tell us a little bit about what you and Cindy do when you're walking through the pens or looking at the catalog to kind of try and figure out if an animal's horns are going to do what you're, what you're hoping or what will match your breeding program. You know, it's funny as you can, we've, we've had some heifers that what we classify as a goat horns, they go up and today they're in the high eighties with beautiful horn sets. It's a guessing game. Uh, the biggest thing is, is you take the cow, you take the family and see what the family did and the family line will help you out. And if you need help, there are so many breeders out there today that are willing to help you and give you good advice. And you need to find those breeders, talk to those breeders and see what their thoughts. Cindy and I, we look at what mama is, what daddy is, and then make the determination of what it's going to do for us. So if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? 
the biggest thing, we were really involved years ago with the children, the TOBT. Uh, I think that's a great organization. We've donated steers for the last 20 some years. We've had steers that have done world shows. They've won them. They've done the Audubon and won. My thing is, is I really think seminars are a great thing and I wish I'd have pushed it harder. That way these, there's a lot of kids that are showing cattle today that have never fed an animal, have trouble figuring out how to fit an animal. And that's something I think the older people like, like, uh, us need to start doing that. We need to get more seminars with the TOBT kids and sit them down and say, this is what you have to do and need to do to be able to compete in this breed today. Do you, Did you notice he just called us old, Jamie? Do you want now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been in since 95. Uh, the big thing about everything is, is the breeders, there is breeders out there that will always step up and want to help you. You know, it's uh, no matter who it is, I don't care if it's the number one breeder, if it's Bob Lemus, Dale Hunt, uh, another one, Felix Cerna. If you look at his breeding program, it is totally different than maybe Bob's or Dale's or even ours, but it's a very successful breeding program. There's new breeders out there right now that are just breaking records and it's a hard thing to do. So you've got to watch what they're doing to be able to compete with them down the road. The Randolphs will kill you in a futurity because they're so good at it. So we look at what the Randolphs got and we compete with the Randolphs before we take our animals. It's just what we do. And it's all fun. Do you have advice for um, people who are looking to make a change to their program? Like what, what would be their first steps or what should they do first? Do a lot of studying. You know, the first thing that Cindy and I did, you gotta be selective. And I still think we need to be more selective in our, in our breed. And you need to look out and watch the magazines, watch the ads, look at Facebook and find these breeders that you can trust and go to them and have them help you start a program. Sometimes if you look at some of these people, they go out and buy the biggest horn animal that was at the sale. And before you know it, sometimes they might have the biggest horn animals, but those animals aren't producing what they should be producing. So go out there, do your homework, don't spend a lot of money until you know for sure what you wanna do and what direction you wanna go. So you mentioned futurities before. I think at the last Millennium Futurity, you walked away with something a little special. Well, we walked away with a goofy rooster that Ann Gravit donated to us. We've been carrying him longer than I was supposed to. Uh, the reason he's not here is little Brent Frank is cooped up right now, so I can't bring him out. But uh, it's, been a, it's been a joy doing it. Our first cattle baron sale we're doing next month, and everybody will get to see little Brent Frank out again. It's time for him to come out of the, the coop and get to work. Well, only when he's around people that we like. If he's not around them, we'll give him the, the chicken, chicken COVID or whatever you want to call it, but he'll be out there. And we can't wait to see all the breeders out there. And if you got a question, come ask me. And if I don't know the answer, I'll either lie to you or I'll give you somebody that can give you the right answer. Perfect. Okay, so it wouldn't be a conversation with Brent Bolin without a joke. So let's close with one of your one of your jokes. There, I don't know if they're acceptable here, <laughs> but um, I've got a thousand jokes, 
And when you guys come to the Cattle Barons and everybody comes there and the Legacy Sale and the Millennium and uh, we've got, I think, um, Debbie Bowman's put down a new sale. So there's a lot of sales and I'll be there. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you taking time out of your day. Oh, thank you. It's time, time to go eat some lunch, okay? <laughs> okay. Thanks, ladies. Bye, thank you.